All right, everyone. Welcome into Without a Mic podcast, episode 21. So this is the show where we cover all things movie, TV, industry updates. Um, what are we doing today? We're doing uh, a state of the industry. So this is sort of a new sort of format that we're exploring today. So bear with us, but we figured we'd take a step back, sort of look at the industry as a whole, point out any trends. And, and we've had some great conversations that have sort of branched off of other things we've done, but we figured this was a good time to take a step back, sort of look at the industry as a whole, and just sort of talk about where it's at. Yeah, and I feel like the the inspiration behind this kind of came, I mean, in large part because of the conversations that we have before we start the podcast. We always chat for about, you know, five to 10 minutes before we ever start the podcast. And it's always about these incredible updates these incredible you know almost like hey what is the state of the film industry we talk about that almost every single time and so we figured you know what Mm -hmm. let's kind of break off from our routine a little bit which is good because you know routine can be good but it can also you know keep you back from these conversations so we wanted to dive into the state of the film industry which is ever-changing we're in the world of streaming there's a lot of questions regarding theater status. There's the representation. There's, you know, female and male actors and, you know, the representation that they have. There's just so much. Um, but I want to put the ball in Roger's court because mm-hmm. I know this is something that you are very excited to talk about. Yeah, so th- what sort of spurred this was I saw a quote um, about actor, actually Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So there... This movie actually comes out this week, if you're listening to this live this week. Um, So Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is the next big Marvel movie. Now, Marvel's been doing a lot of movies lately, a lot of TV shows. Um, I think we can both agree that the the TV and movie market is a little bit saturated right now with Marvel content. It feels like at some times it's very samey. It's a little bit recycled. And there have been some unique and innovative things that have come out, some great storytelling Um, I think particularly with some of their TV shows, but I've been seeing a lot of feedback this today and yesterday about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness being very polarizing so far with some of these early reviews for people going to the early screenings and that it's very different um, in the fan base and the people have seen it are very divided. It's either love it or absolutely hate it. And it seems to be taking on this sort of horror aura like it's it's not full of cameos and fan service sam raimi came in and he made it a horror weird um sam raimi film and so i think just for me like what kind of what i wanted to talk about was like how much value do you think there is in these big swings and big risk type movies you know we're seeing a lot of people coming out with first time projects passion projects and we've talked about this a little bit but i think this is a a good this is sort of what's been on my mind lately is you've got these tried and true like there's another avatar movie coming out there's another uh, jurassic world movie coming out there's more marvel movies coming out star wars like some of these big brands that keep getting you know recycled and and sequels and stuff like that but i kind of just wanted to talk about like you know you see these these uh like don't worry darling that movie this movie's coming out by olivia wilde the trailer just dropped it looks phenomenal like these small passion projects by people that are like, I just want to make this like Severance or Ozark, you know, all these things that people are like, I just want to make this. I love it. I love this idea. And I don't care if it makes money or not. I just want to make it versus like, let's just rehash the sequel because we know people will go see it. It's a safe bet. So that's a lot right there. But, you know, what are kind of your thoughts? This is just this is kind of what's been on my mind lately. This is a great topic, um, especially because so, for example, on my TikToks, I would say the most popular videos Mm -hmm. that I've made have been 10 movies that you didn't know were being made. And a lot of times these movies are big movies. They're big movie franchises, they're sequels, they're, they're films that everybody knows of and they just didn't know that they were making more. And then the number one response that I always get, I always get one common response. It's like, Oh, Hollywood has nothing original left. Like Hollywood has no ideas, no brand new ideas. They don't know what they're, they're resorting back to old things. And so what's funny about that is I agree that we should be promoting original content, but at the same time, we as Mm -hmm. consumers pay the most money for the sequels, for the nostalgia. Think about Jurassic World coming out this summer. It's probably going to be the the highest grossing Jurassic film of all time. 
because they're mixing Jurassic World right. and Jurassic Park. And that's and and at the end of the day, you know, they can create this very original Jurassic World movie, but it won't do as well as bringing back Sam Neill and Laura Dern from the original cast to mix in with Chris Pratt and other people. Mm-hmm. So it, for me as a as a you know, I would say a film enthusiast, a lover of film, you know, who's very passionate about film, I I go nuts on the original content. So when I see the trailer for Don't Worry Darling by Olivia Wilde, I'm I'm like freaking out. I'm mm-hmm. like September's so far away, you know, whereas Doctor Strange right. is coming out this <laughs> week and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess I should get tickets to that," you know, where I'm not dying mm-hmm. to go see Doctor Strange, but I'm dying to see this very independent independent feeling type film by Olivia Wilde. So it's interesting because us consumers kind of dictate where Hollywood is going to go and what directors and writers are going to create. But at the same time, when you do get those individuals mm-hmm. who say, I don't care, you know, who say I'm funding this for myself, for myself or my own production company, or I made a really good deal or whatever the case is where, like you said, they don't care about the financial gain those tend to be the best films and and it's no surprise why you know the films that win best picture or you know that have the best actor or Coda. best actresses are all small independent budget films because they're the, the they're the original mm-hmm. content right they're the ones that say we don't care this is a passion project we want to make it and they end up being the most beautiful films so that's kind of my take i know it's also a little bit drawn out and a little bit you know intricate and complicated but that's kind of what I think in regards to original content. Yeah, no, I think I think you hit the nail on the head that we as consumers dictate the market and what people actually want to see. Um, and I think, like you said, some of these film, most of these films that win awards and Oscars for Best Picture, they are smaller independent projects with with people that are you know working for it with blood, sweat, and tears. Just because you know, like you said in Coda in our review, you know they were going out and asking actual fishermen can we borrow your boat to make a movie you know marvel's not doing that you know they buy the boat right so it's like you know you have these people that are working extra hard to make this because they care about the story and the experience and the message they want to get out there and i don't think that it's necessarily bad that you know jurassic world or avatar marvel or star wars keep making these these things and i think we've seen some really interesting takes on some of these stories like i think marvel's original series on disney plus um, namely loki wandavision and now moon knight have all taken a unique approach to a marvel product right because they're not just about a superhero they're more about the story that they're telling and and i feel like all of them are dealing with some sort of fundamental thing that a lot of people struggle with whether it's you know trauma or or you know, depression or, you know, grief, these types of, you know, identity crisis, these types of things that we can all relate to. And I think most of the projects that I'm seeing that are, are really passionate and really small and, and really, you know, going for it, they're all centered around some sort of this message or something like that. They're not just trying to sell tickets. They're not about the money. Um, and we've seen like with the Batman, for example, you know, you can take an original idea or a not original idea idea and put an original spin on it and have it be phenomenal um and you can also have you know morbius which is an original idea and just have it fall flat you know even though we haven't seen that before so i almost i I think sorry i was just gonna say i almost imagine that if you took morbius and you said you know to the creator and director and you said you need to make this film on the budget of an independent film I almost imagine that they would be able Ooh. to make an incredible film. But when you say to a director or a writer or a production company, and you say, hey, you have $200 million to work with, that almost gives them an excuse to make a very below average film because they can mess with all the CGI and all the special effects and all mm-hmm. the locations and everything. Whereas Coda, they had such a small budget and they had to literally beg these fishermen to be on their boats to make the film and they made such an authentic piece right. of art. So I, I almost imagine that would be intriguing to say, you know, and to a degree, you kind of mix the two in Marvel with the Eternals and it didn't really work out because you took a independent filmmaker in Chloe Zhao and then you took this gigantic film in the Eternals and you tried to mix the two and it didn't work out, at least not in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't know. Maybe that's right. not the answer, but I think it would make an intriguing story. I was thinking about something you said that, you know, you're, you're excited for Don't Worry Darling, but that you, you know, you said this just before we got on, but you said it just now that you're like, oh, I need to get tickets for Multiverse of Madness. But like, what is getting you off the couch or out of your house to go see a movie these days? Like, what is it that like pulls you in and like gets you to pre-order tickets, not like go that weekend and see something, but like, I need to get these tickets as soon as they're available. Cause I think we both did that with the Batman, you went to the early premiere. Um, we did it for Spider-Man, things like that. But I, f- I feel like there's not a lot of movies left that do that for me. Like I'm not pre-ordering tickets. It's like, oh, I'll go to the movies and I'll see what's playing or I know what's playing, but I just kind of like, I guess I'll go see this. You know, that's that looks good. Yeah, I almost, I mean, at least for me, you got to think, you know, in, in my line of work, I call it emotional marketing. And so, you know, when we make a video mm-hmm. or a post or whatever the case may be for social media, we say, okay, what is, what's going to kind of trigger the emotions of the viewer? And so for me, when I see a, mm-hmm. a trailer for Doctor Strange and I see all this incredible CGI and special effects and I see Benedict Cumberbatch, who I very much admire, I'm like, okay, cool. That, there's no mm-hmm. emotional pull to me personally because I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But when I watch Don't Worry Darling and you mm-hmm. have the very intimate music and you have this eerie feeling going through and you could tell but just by the story of the trailer, they're, they're telling a separate story in the trailer than the story in the actual film. And the story in the trailer is captivating my right. attention because of the emotions that they're pulling out of me from the music and the cinematography. That's when I'm like, okay, this two minute trailer just caused so much curiosity that now I'm, in, now I'm intrigued enough to buy these tickets whenever they come out. And that was the same thing with the Batman. That Batman had that very, that, that cinematography, that mm-hmm. very in, intimate music that they went along with. They had this suspense, this drawn out vision as to what they were trying to accomplish and that, that drew my curiosity. So I don't think that's going to be the same for everybody. I think everybody's kind of individualistic in their own way, but I do think if you can enhance the emotional marketing, that's why certain commercials do really well and certain commercials really suck, is because they focus on either the content that they're making mm-hmm. or the emotions that they're pulling. And I think if you're focusing on the emotions, then your film has a great opportunity to succeed, whether it's a large or a small budget film. Yeah, that's a great point. I think I, I think the way that you describe that makes a lot of sense for me, like analyzing how I see things. And it's funny because we were talking, I was talking with a friend yesterday, the other day, and... Uh, she made the comment, she's like, I don't watch any trailers for any Marvel movies because they give away the whole plot. They use all the main jokes of the movie in the trailer. And now Marvel's been doing this thing where they release these TV spots every week leading up to the movie for like a month and a half. And it's like showing scenes from the movie. So by the time you go to the movie, you've seen, you know, maybe 10% of it at that point, you know, just or at least enough to grasp a lot of it and what's going on. So when you go see the movie... It's, it's almost watered down because you don't get the full experience. Whereas some of these other trailers, like, you know, we keep going to the Batman, but the Batman's trailer, like, you watch it and there's a lot of cool stuff going on and it gets that emotion, but it doesn't really tell you exactly what's going on. You go see the Batman and the story just blows your mind because you had no idea from the trailer this is how it was going to play out. Whereas I feel like you, some of these movies, these big blockbusters specifically, they're trying to show you as much as they can so that you'll want to see it when I think actually showing less gets people more excited and, and raises the experience. Well, um, we'll look at Obi-Wan. Because it just lowers your standards. I mean, Obi-Wan mm-hmm. released a teaser trailer. They didn't even release their full trailer yet. And that teaser trailer, we right. have no idea really what's happening. We kind of have a, a slight clue just because of the timeline, but, re- but we don't really know the story. Mm-hmm. And because of that slight idea, the curiosity is just out of the roof. And once again... The music, the cinematography, the way that they mm-hmm. pull on your emotions, it, it, that's what drew me in so much. Whereas if you take the music away, I actually don't know if I'd be as, as curious. I think I'd be intrigued, but I don't think I'd be as curious. And they did a great job understanding where the emotional pull comes from in regards to that, that fan base. And so I think you kind of nailed it on the head. I know a lot of friends who actually do the same thing. They never watch trailers. They actually like purely never do. Like if they go see a movie, they're like, cool, this is the first time I'm ever seeing 
any piece of content. And in my mind, that's really hard because I'd like kind of having a sense of, yeah, like, I don't know, curiosity. But for them, I completely understand. Like, I'm not, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. But I think it kind of just depends on the film as well. Like, if you can go into it saying, I genuinely knew the entire plot, then that's kind of on the story, not on the trailer that was given. Because I'll tell you right now, they, they released many trailers on Dune, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into because the story was so complex and so well written out. Whereas, you know, maybe mm-hmm. Star Wars or Marvel or something that is a little bit more familiar, we might already kind of know the punchline or know the climax of the story based off of what we're watching. Yeah, that's that's a yeah, you're right. I think I think it's uh it's more on the story than the trailer because the trailer is is some marketing person that's trying to make you interested in it but the story is what actually the movie's supposed to be built around so yeah I've, i i don't know i i just feel like lately you know there's been there's been a lot of really good content but i feel like there's there has been a few greats but i i don't know i just feel like there's a lot more good than great which i guess is normal but i i'm you know, there's there's a lot of like this last week. You know, we were talking about Northmen, um, the unbearable weight of massive talent. I really want to see uh, everything everywhere all at once. And those are all m- movies that I've heard great things about, but none of them are like I have to go see this. Like I could I could wait on any of them honestly and yeah. see it once it comes out on streaming. So well, I will say to that point, I don't know. I think I almost think the marketing in itself is it goes a lot of the marketing goes into word of mouth and we don't we don't understand that until we actually have it happen firsthand like for example if roger's texting me which he has over and over dude severance you need to continue and watch severance all that does for me is build my curiosity even more and saying well i need to watch severance like now and it's the Mm -hmm. same thing like with the batman i was the same i've it's been for me this past week i've had many people text me dude ozark season four part two is the craziest thing i've ever seen i'm like all right i need to watch this like i need to watch it now so i i think Mm -hmm. word of mouth marketing does more for the film industry and the tv industry than we comprehend because if i'm excited about the obi-wan trailer which i was i sent it to everyone which then all that does is build curiosity for them which then in turn they will send it to other people Whereas if I'm watching Doctor Strange, I'll tell you right Mm -hmm. now, I haven't shared a single thing about Doctor Strange. Not because I think it's going to be bad, but because it just didn't draw my interest or my curiosity to the level that I wanted to share it with other people. There are certain films and TV shows where I am dying to share. Like, I'm literally dying to share it at any given point. And that was Don't Worry Darling Mm -hmm. yesterday when the trailer dropped. I was like, I need to share this because this trailer is nuts. And so I think if you can get to that point as a film or a TV show where people are dying to share any snippet that you can offer, then you know you have something to work with. Yeah, that's a great point, I think. I mean, I shared all the same stuff. Batman, Don't Worry Darling. Um, Once I saw Coda, I started sharing that. You know, now I'm an evangelist for Ted Lasso. Like, but I think... I think there's an interesting distinction here because you've got like trailers that are teasing really cool things that we haven't seen yet. And then there's the things you have seen, like, for example, you know, we, I've seen severance and I've been, you know, promoting it to anyone who will listen to me to watch it. Um, same thing with Ted Lasso. Like those are just such great products, I guess is that feels like a cheap word, but you know, they just, they were so good that I just couldn't help but to share them because I want someone else to experience what I experienced. Whereas I think the things that we just watch and move on, like, oh, okay, that was nice. You know, it doesn't really leave you with much. So, well, and and again, I feel like a lot of these are just the smaller passion projects. Like, yeah. I'm seeing a trend here. Well, just as much as you are a viewer and what, what kind of pulls you and what makes you interested and what makes you want to get tickets immediately, I ask myself the same thing about actors. You know, what as an actor mm. what is something that's going to draw you in and what's something that's going to be like eh, okay because like for example oscar isaac talked about why he took the role of moon knight and he said it was because <laughs> marvel deliberately told him it was not going to be like other marvel products 
And he was like, okay, cool. Then I think I'm going to be in, you know, because not that he hated Marvel, but he didn't want to be sucked into the the same type of content over and over. Because like you said, it feels stereotype. It feels, same. Hmm. it feels like the same thing over and over and over with very different ideas and very mm-hmm. exciting and very cinematic. Don't get me wrong, but it's the same exact idea with different characters. And for him, you know, it's the same thing with WandaVision, in my opinion. I can only imagine that the creator of WandaVision went to Marvel Studios and said, hey, here's my idea. And you might think it's crazy, but I think it's going to be exceptionally original and people want something different. And then they took that risk and then they said, oh, thank Mm -hmm. God we took that risk because this is exactly what we needed. Because the more you get that, the the more it paints a well-rounded picture of the personality of Marvel. Whereas if you keep making content like Iron Man, Spider-Man, Captain America, Thor, you're going to be getting this, you're, you're digging a, a bigger hole for your studio and your company to say, oh yeah, it's the same stuff. So yeah, I guess watch Iron Man 1 and you'll kind of understand what the other ones are about. Because that's kind of what it is right now. So what what pulls an actor's attention? That's something I would be curious about. Yeah, I think that's really telling. And I'm, I, I think we can kind of tell who, like what actors are down for a paycheck and which ones actually, you know, like you said with Oscar Isaac like does his research and makes a decision based on sort of what his values are and what he he values in in his performances and what he's in and I'll say I mean Moon Knight season six or episode six drops this week and I'm all caught up and it has been very different and again it's it's about a story and it's about a message it's not about you know, some guy who can punch a bunch of people and, and save the day type thing. And I think the more, and I kind of brought this up in the Harry Potter review that we did, but I think in Harry Potter, like just to recap briefly, my issue was that there wasn't enough internal struggle for these characters to overcome, which, which made an interesting story, but not a relatable one Mm -hmm. in my, you know, opinion. And I think that's sort of what I've seen with these Marvel originals and some of these other things that, I've really enjoyed like Ted Lasso and and Coda and Severance and the Batman is it takes yes you have a a superhero quote unquote or you have a plot or a story or a struggle but it makes the person or the character relatable and it makes them vulnerable and people connect with that and then they add you know the superhero elements or whatever but they write the story and they they identify the message first and then the other stuff comes after whereas I think you know a lot of these you know, we keep using Marvel, but there's so much, you know, sample that we can use. But some of these Marvel sequels, like the Thor sequels and the Iron Man sequels, they're just not very good because they said, how can we throw in so much cool stuff? And then the story was kind of like tacked on, I've, at least I felt. So, yeah, I think I think they're starting to learn and, and I'm seeing it kind of come to fruition. But even if you look at Doctor, the title of Doctor Strange, like it's Doctor Strange in tiny text. And the multiverse of madness is the big text. And that's what it's about. It's about the multiverse of madness. It's not about Doctor Strange is what they're telling you. Whereas Moon Knight, it's just Moon Knight. Or WandaVision is just WandaVision. Mm. Yep. And that's what it's about. Yeah. You know? Well, so my sister and I were having this conversation the other day because I, I just started Under the Banner of Heaven with Andrew Garfield, which is very intriguing. Same. So, um, and she was talking about, because I mentioned to her that Andrew Garfield is taking a break from acting and, and he's going to wait until he gets a role that he really admires and then he's not going to have any rush. And she's like, man, what that would be like. And I'm like, yeah, but it's different, right? Because if you're an actor and a successful one at that, you make enough money, that's the first mm-hmm. part. But then you're not tied to a job, right? Like one job. As an actor, you right. work hundreds, if not thousands of different jobs and you kind of get to pick and choose once you get to that certain level of, of credibility. And so you, you right. have people like Andrew Garfield who are saying, hey, you know, I might not be the highest paid actor of 2022. I might not be the highest paid actor ever, but like I am going to choose credible, authentic, genuine content. And I want to be a part of that. So that way as a viewer, mm-hmm. I know when Andrew Garfield is in something, it's probably going to be of high value. Whereas if I see The Rock in right. something, which don't get me wrong, The Rock is a very likable guy, but he's taking on every role. And what what happens? He becomes the second highest paid actor of 2022. So it's like, okay, do you want to be known as 
somebody who can be likable and in every single film, that's totally fine. Or do you want to be known as Leonardo DiCaprio, who's literally in a film probably once every three to four years because he, he, he really picks and chooses wisely on the, pro- on the projects that mean a lot to him and that have high quality. And he's working with the right directors and the right writers and the right cinematography team and the right circumstances. You know, like those are the type of people I admire watching. And it sucks when you see people like that right. kind of shift to the other side. Because I've seen that. You know, I saw that with Brad Pitt. He's, he's kind of done that a little bit. You know, you see that with other actors. But then you see the Andrew Garfields, the the Leonardo DiCaprio's, the Christian Bale's, like these people are always in high quality content. And once again, like I have no Mm -hmm. idea what Dr. Strange is going to be like, but when I got all the heat, when people are like, how do you, how are you putting Thor above Dr. Strange in in the multiverse of madness? I said, because of Taika Waititi, because of the cast, because everything wrapped around Thor seems like it's more promising than what I'm going to get with Doctor Strange. But we will we'll see. I just think it's an interesting concept. Yeah, no, that's a great point and I think um great observation on the actors and and what I specifically respect about Andrew Garfield doing that is most of those actors that start getting selective do it on the back nine of their career, right? They've already done all that stuff and you know, been highest paid or, or pretty high paid at some point. And now they're, you know, whether it's because they're tired or whether it's because they're just in other projects, you know, now they take a step back. But Andrew Garfield is arguably in his prime, right? Like, you know, he's he's still pretty young. He's just, he just did Tick, Tick, Boom. He just got, you know, I think before Tick, Tick, Boom, he had, he wasn't like a, I mean, people knew who he was from Spider-Man a couple of years ago, but he wasn't like a, a modern pick for a lot of roles and doing Spider-Man was literally like, he probably got uh, 500 offers the week after that came out to do projects because all of a sudden the fan love just went crazy high and now everyone wants him in everything because it's like, great. He was just in Spider-Man. Everyone's got that nostalgia running. Like let's get him in more stuff. And his response is I'm going to take a break. So it's like, I, I think you see this with, um, with every industry, but you know, it, there's there's sort of the quality versus quantity thing, and and I wouldn't say that either one is wrong, but like you said, The Rock, he's in a lot of things that are fine, you know, but I can't think of the last thing I saw him in that was like, wow, this is like, this is tick tick boom, this is like, <laughs> this is the Batman, or this is you know, Coda, or even Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog, it's like, wow, this is like a a gritty like deep immersive performance. You know, those actors getting nominated for Best best Actor, all of them were well-deserved. Same thing with actresses. But they're putting in the time and the, the effort to, to pick the right project for them and then immerse themselves and actually do a fantastic job. Whereas I think there's a lot of actors, like you said, that they'll just take any role, makes a lot of money. Cool, I'm in it. Let's do it. And then move on to the next one. So, Do you want to know my hot I think, take? I think for me... Let's hear it. I I think if Benedict Cumberbatch could go back in time, I don't think he would he would be Doctor Strange. Now, don't get me wrong, and hear me out. This is where my hot take comes into play. I think Doctor Strange has propelled his career like crazy, but he is sucked. Oh yeah, he is sucked into this world. No matter how much he wants to do other projects, because there is very 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 few individuals who are diversely talented as benedict cumberbatch as an actor right now who can do animated projects Mm -hmm. who can do serious projects who can do comedic projects who could do change his accent in any way he wants to and i almost feel like dr strange though it's put on put him on a very high level anytime i watch him with with his you know press tours or anything like that he's kind of like let's get through it like let's really fast really Mm -hmm. really impatient and though he never talks bad about it so that's where like this is all assumption and, and speculation, but he he reminds me as the power of the dog type of guy, not the Doctor Strange type of guy. He's the guy that wants to be in these gritty mm-hmm. performances, the Sherlock performances, the the imitation game performances. That's the Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. I think he would rather be, but he's caught up in this world of Doctor Strange, which he does a great job, but he he's in this yeah. superhero universe that I don't think he'll ever be able to get out of. 
to be back into these very serious, genuine, authentic roles. I, that just made me think like now with sort of the direction that things are going, especially with Marvel and now Star Wars is but back in the, you know, let's say, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there were some trilogy, like Star Wars, the original trilogy came out. You have, you've had, you know, Lord of the Rings and you've had Terminator and, and some of these, these, you know, let's say trilogies, but sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter, but with these movies, you know, you would do one, two, three movies and then you're done and you move on and just do other projects. There was never going to be more. Um, but now with Marvel and with Star Wars, you know, if you sign up for one of these roles, you could be in 20 different movies or, or, or shows or whatever. Um, just because that's the nature of the industry now is it's, it's about creating chain together um, experiences. You know, TV shows now are much more prevalent than they were back then. And so you've got like recurring appearances so actors i feel like in certain ways like like a benedict cumberbatch they come in and they do this movie and it's a success and now they want more and so now you're sort of stuck you know because it's i'm sure it's making him way too much or not too much but a ton of money um but the cost the opportunity cost kind of like we talked about a couple episodes ago is now he can't get out <laughs> until they literally kill him like tony stark did to get Iron Man out or, you know, make him an old man like Chris Evans to get out of Captain America. Like those characters were in so many movies. And I think you saw it in like Star Wars with Harrison Ford. They wanted to bring him back for The Force Awakens. And he's like, I'll come back if you kill me because I don't want to be in it anymore. <laughs> you know, I'll do it because Carrie and Mark are coming back. But I don't want to be tied into this. Oh, look, Harrison Ford's in every movie now. Like, you know, we get Han Solo again. It's like, no, no, I'm not about that. Um, and I think, you know, Mark Hamill, you know, he's done with Star Wars as well, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, it's just nice to be done, I think, at some point, even though probably at this stage in his career, he's probably got a, quite a few more movies going on before he can get out of it. Well, I think, I think the, the curious question that you made me think about that you need to ask yourself as an actor is, why am I so discontent with roles that will take care of me for the rest of my life? So Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter, never has to work another day in his life. And mm -hmm. he is so turned off by the idea of Harry Potter now. Like, he loves the franchise. He'll, he never wants to come back, or at least he speaks very poorly about coming back, at least right now. And then you think of Daniel Craig, James right. Bond. He, like, never wants to talk about James Bond ever again. You know, think of all these people who are in these big roles. Chris Evans is, as Captain America he's and he's a very nice guy too and he's very much like i want i do not want to be known as captain america and it's like yeah well you should have known that when you got yourself into this you know 10 to 15 year project <laughs> you know that it was not going to be anything different so i don't know it's it's funny because those roles like if somebody said hey robert pattinson i know you're not going to like this but we want to sign you on for a i don't know what you want to call it, an eight to ten year deal for twilight and it'll take care of you for the rest of your life if, if you're asking me, I'm probably going to take it, right? Because as a, right. as a you know, newer actor or even as an actor in general, all you want is stability. I mean, all the stories that I've heard about low-key actors, I mean, John Krasinski lived in New York for two years trying to land a role, and he could not land anything. And then he was literally about to quit, and then he finally got the office. And then look what happened. That propelled his career. Now he's in Jack Ryan, 13 hours, Quiet Place, Quiet Place Part 2. It's like he's in... Now he's a sought-after actor, but it took him a long time mm -hmm. to get there. So I'm sure as any actor, male or female, I'm sure you're dying for some type of stability or financial you know, confirmation that you're going to be okay. And so it's, it's funny to me because those roles are so great and they're such a blessing to these, to these people, but they become a curse after for everything sure. is said and done. Yeah, well, I think... I think if you just look at life, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, at some point you pick a career, you know, it's probably not acting for most people, but whatever it is, you know, you kind of have to take that job to, to like get you to bridge that gap, right? Like maybe you take a job because it makes a lot of money or maybe you take a job because you need it to get the job you actually want. But there's sort of a period where you, you have this like, let's call it a necessary evil to get to where you want to be. And for actors, I think that's, taking a franchise that will lock you in for a long time, but make you that money. Um, 
And then afterwards, whether or not you want to go the route of being in a bunch of movies to just keep making money, or if you want to become selective, you know, I think that's the same for us in life. You know, as you get older, as you get more experience, as you become more valuable, your options open up a lot more. And that's sort of where you can decide, do I want to be quality or quantity or, or maybe a bit of both? So, um, well, I might, I, but I, I was just thinking about what she's, oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, this is to segment into a different kind of topic. So if, if you want to, if you had something else to say, please, by all means. No, no, no. Okay. No, I was just curious if away. there's a, I wrote this down before because we were talking about like, oh, we want to chat about the, you know, the state of the film industry. And I was thinking, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. you and I both, you know, we were born in the 90s, right? So it's like, right. I mean, we we can only go back so far. But what what aspects from the past, you know, do you miss or do do I miss in regards to the, the film industry that is changing ever rapidly? And one thing that came to my mind and the reason why I thought of this question is I think of the theater status, right? I mean... I grew up in a very non-wealthy household, and so the movie theaters was kind of mm-hmm. our escape, right? Because movies were $7, and they, they served popcorn on cheap seats, and it was it was doable, right? Where now, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I enjoy the, the experience of going to the movies, now, you know, the movie aspect is, hey, this is going to be a 12 to $15 ticket, and by the way, there's like a million food options. And the popcorn's just expensive. Yeah, the, the popcorn <laughs> is just as expensive as the ticket. And by the way, there's full course meals now. Oh, and there's luxury seating. Yeah. Oh, now there's now there's five different types of theaters that you can go to with different sound systems. That IMAX, you, That 3D, nobody even knows about, you know. It's Dolby like, Atmos. <laughs> I, I love the aspect that we're, we're advancing our technology and we're advancing the experience. Mm-hmm. But I almost think, in a sense, you're kind of taking away the magic of going to the movies because you're trying to to fluff it up and 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 really buff this thing up which don't get me wrong once again I love going to the movies it's there's nothing I enjoy more than going to the movies and having popcorn and a drink and watching an incredible film on a massive screen with great sound around me but I do think that there's kind of this ever changing sense of Oh, because streaming is bumping itself up, we need to match their energy and change all these things so that we can continue to be, you know, admirable. But I don't know. I mean, do you have any childhood things or things from even the past that you've heard about that you you see changing before our eyes in regards to the film industry that you you loved? I think you nailed it on the head, though. You know, where you said just basically to sum up part of what you said is it's just become a lot more expensive to enjoy that right and you know if you go with a date you know it's 30 30 bucks let's say for the pair of you to go to the average movie and get a thing of popcorn to share and maybe a couple drinks but you know when where i grew up i grew up in huntington beach uh california and there was we called it the dollar theater but you know there was i'm sure there was there used to be one of these in every town, right? Because now it's only the big theaters, and and maybe you're lucky enough to have a, you know, a theater that has like five dollars or cheaper tickets around still. But we had like a three dollar theater, you know. I remember going to see the Prestige here for like the third time in the theater, um, which is one of our favorite films, um, and and they turned it on and it was upside down, like <laughs> <laughs> like you got some like some high school kid working it and they turn it on and you, the prestige starts playing upside down and and you know eventually they've turned it over you know <laughs> but it was just like you know that type of experience but you go and the popcorn's cheap and it's it's in a an old church building um but but the great thing about that was i you know i'm a, I'm a family of seven you know going to the theaters today with seven people you know that's like 150 dollars impossible 200 bucks if you want to get snacks and stuff yeah it's and so i think like it was cool because my family we could go to the theater together and it was like you know 21 dollars, and we could get a popcorn or two and it's 30 bucks which is now the cost of a, a single couple going and getting popcorn at a normal theater um and so i think you know the cost of living's gone up and obviously there's all these other factors but i think you know, one thing that it's become harder to do is take a family or justify going to the theater a lot more now because it's so much more expensive. You know, the cost of living is incredibly high. You know, all this, all these other factors. 
And so people have to be more selective now about what they go see because you, you have to budget it. You can't go see everything. And they have these like subscription passes, right? You can get movie passes where you can go a couple times a month and see movies and you just pay a monthly rate. But I don't personally know a lot of people who do that. Um, I, most people I know are going once or twice a month to see usually the latest Marvel movie or, or the Jurassic World movie or, or whatever is the big movie of the month is they'll go see it and so I think for me like what's kind of sad in a way is that the 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 barrier to entry for movie theater experiences now has gone up so high that it's cut out a lot of people uh probably most of the people who would like to go see these movies more and they have to choose you know maybe once a month maybe once every other month or you know if if they love Marvel or Star Wars they'll go see the latest whatever movie in that franchise um so uh, you just I'm kind of rambling, but I guess to break it down, just the barrier to entry for people to experience the movies, because like you said, there's nothing better than going and, you know, going to the movies, you get some snacks, you get some candy or popcorn or a drink, you go with, you know, your significant other or your family or, you know, whatever it is, friends, and you get experience this, this massive screen, the sound, um, all that stuff, but you know, it's just not as often now because the barrier to entry is so high. Um, and not that the movies are any worse or, or, or anything like that. It's just, you know, I don't think people can go as often as they'd like. Yeah. And I think that's not being talked about as not as much, you know, people are like, Oh, streaming is taking over and there's so many streaming platforms and now movies are coming out on streaming. And, you know, you have, you know, directors like Denis Villeneuve and you'll have, you know, Christopher Nolan and they're saying like, Hey, the theater experience is where it's at. And I'm like, buddy, I agree. But like, we're not, you know, the average human being is not making millions of dollars. I'm sorry, that's not how it is. So, you know, many of us Mm -hmm. have to think constantly about how we're moving pieces around the chessboard so that we can enjoy the things that we enjoy. You know, is that going to be going out to dinner? Or it used to be an option where you could go to a movie and dinner, right? Where now it's becoming Mm -hmm. the option, do we do a movie or do we do dinner? You know, so which which one do we want to choose right. now? And I think that's not talked about enough is that these childhood memories, these things that you had enjoyed, you know, where you could go to a movie with a family of seven and pay no more than $30, you know, like that, that was something that you cherished because it was a step away from the routine. It was a step away from home. It was a step away from life. Whereas now, you know, if you go into streaming, that that's kind of your comfort zone now. You know, you're you're saving money, you're in the comfort of your own home, you don't have to stress about, you know, are we going to have to choose between going out to eat or watching a movie? So, I ultimately, I, I guess my, my question just stemmed from that magic feeling, for lack of a better word, you know, the magic that you feel from going to the movies, you kind of have to pick and choose now, you know, whereas, oh, you know, I, I went to the Batman three times mm-hmm. in theaters that was worth it to me. But is that going is that going to be the case with, you know, twenty other films this year? I'm not sure. So Yeah. Yeah. Kind of an interesting no, state. And and you made a great point, but like, you know, let's take all the things Oh, are we losing yeah, you? Yeah, can you hear me? Are you still here? Do we have uh, another oh, technical man. difficulty? <laughs> it's time to bring in the chime. Looks like uh Roger has a technical difficulties. Are we live? We're live. We're, we're back. back. We're back. Sorry for the technical difficulty. Sorry, uh, Doctor, Str- Doctor Strange showed up and beat us up for talking smack. I know, movie, dude. We, so. we had to transition into the multiverse. No, I think I think ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what I was kind of wrapping up with. It was, you know, I think it all comes down to the magic that you felt as a child that is kind of shifting now that you're you're trying to find. And I guess my my one maybe you know one of my final questions that I have is. Okay, so that aspect of the past we miss, right? And it kind of comes down to the expense side of things. What does the future look like? You know, what do you think is in store for the future of cinema? Is that is that a sense where streaming is going to also take part in the theater aspect? Is that, you know, us moving completely towards streaming? I, you know, what does that look like? And I want to pose that question to you. And I know it's a big question because I don't think I really know any type of assumption or answer, but I'm curious if you have any specific thoughts. Wow. This, I think this is a great question to wrap up with. Um, I think to kind of 
answer the problem that the theater has that we just talked about, you know, barrier to entry, you know, for the cost of sometimes less than one movie ticket, unless you have Netflix, um, you can essentially watch a movie at home with your family. You have all these snacks. You can invite as many people over as you want. Um, you can get up and leave, or if you have kids, you can still watch it. Um, all for eight, ten, twelve dollars a month, <laughs> and you could do that multiple times, right? So I think, I think there's so much value in people being able to enjoy a theater-like experience from the comfort of their home with their family, you know, with snacks and all this stuff on a more budget price. And the nice thing about streaming is, you know, if you think about how most movies are more than the cost of one month subscription of a streaming service, you know, that's horrible value if you just look at it that way. Now, obviously, the experience of the theater and, you know, the sound and the screen and all that stuff is, is amazing. But I think most people would say, like, I get four or five new movies a month and three TV shows for $10 or I go see one movie for two hours for 15 You know, I, I don't blame people for choosing streaming. I, um, and especially with more variety, more stuff to watch, more return on your investment, all this stuff. But I think there's still always going to be a place for movie theaters. And I think with COVID happening, you saw so many movie theaters close um, just because people weren't going. But in a way, I feel like that was actually a good thing because now that there's less theaters, it means that the that experience is a little bit more premium or like high quality a luxury experience right so i think most people are watching stuff at home uh they'll throw on netflix they'll throw on disney plus hbo max hulu amazon prime peacock you know paramount plus you name it there's so many services plus we still have sports news live tv like all this stuff so the the opportunity to watch that all from home for a lot less potentially is awesome but I still think the theater will always be like that premium experience. And when you get that magical movie every now and then that gets you up out of your, your house, gets you to the theater, whether you bring the family or go on a date or whatever it is, you know, that'll still be like that pinnacle experience. I just don't think we're going to be able to afford it as often as we'd like. Yeah, no, I think you made some great points. And to be completely honest, like you and I don't have the answers, right? Like people might ask, hey, what is the no. what is the future of the film industry look like? And I, I can honestly say I have no idea. But I think, you know, just like we saw streaming as a completely unexpected aspect of film, we got to keep our minds open for what that might be next, right? I mean, I, I remember when Disney Plus announced or when Disney announced that Disney Plus was going to come, there was so much skepticism. People hated it. People, mm-hmm. people thought, oh, like, why are you copying Netflix? But look what happened, right? I mean, they are now one of the top dogs in the streaming service, and they're doing an, a phenomenal job. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. if there's any picture to paint on where this, the current status of, you know, theater attendance is right now is, you know, when, we, when I was in Colorado, I went and saw... Um, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which we, we will release a popcorn review on. And, and I remember, you know, the tickets themselves were already 15 bucks a piece. And then Ken's and I were baffled that they served alcohol in there. And we're like, oh, you know, let's, let's get a beer and some wine. Because, you know, in Utah, for anybody who doesn't know, they don't serve alcohol in theaters, let alone can you get alcohol in many places. And... <laughs> The alcohol. Yeah, we still don't know why. So. Yeah, exactly. I have no idea. So the <laughs> the beer. I remember because the beer was like a, a sixteen ounce can or something. It wasn't big, and then the wine was also very small, and it was like thirty five dollars <laughs> for both of them together, and I was beside myself. I was like, wow, this. <laughs> and we didn't get any any candy or any popcorn. Just just the well, two yeah, you can't. Dr- just the two drinks, and I was. <laughs> I was baffled. I, it honestly kind of it distracted my thoughts as I went into this film, which is terrible because that should not be the case. But to your point, if there's anything that's going to enhance the idea of me being at home, me having snacks that I can get from the store, me having drinks that I can get from the gas station or the store or any restaurant for that matter, to come home and enjoy myself, that experience right there is exactly what will lead me to do that. So. I hope that you know the, the film industry is moving in the right direction. I hope that movies such as Dune and The Batman 
and all of Christopher Nolan's films. I hope those continue improving the process of the theater experience. But as of right now, you know, I think we're in a tricky spot. Yeah, I was. I just had a quick thought that maybe they should. Uh, once the movie reviews come in, they should. You can order a drink for a set price, but depending on how bad the movie is, that's how big of a drink you get, right? So if it's a great movie, you get a small one because you know you got to pay attention. But if it's horrible, you know, if you go to Fantastic Four, they bring you a keg, and they're like, or Morbius, they're like, this is a sixteen percent, so you're gonna need this to get through this one. You know, I think that's what theaters are missing. Honestly, is just it's not a bad more, idea. More drunk people. It's not. A <laughs> then bad the reviews idea. will go up. They'll be like, "It was great." <laughs> you know, Heineken sponsored our experience. So. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, but you know, everywhere but Utah, right? So yeah, I mean, ultimately, but no, yeah, I think I was gonna say at the end of the day, ahead. film film is in a great spot. You know, I think I think the the deliver mm-hmm. like the delivery of film is definitely up in the air you know is that going to continue enhancing in streaming is that going to continue enhancing in theaters and that's that's for you know other professionals and and different people to figure out i mean for us as the consumer we can at least feel comfortable knowing that great great content is continuing to be made keep an eye out for that original content you know that content that allows your emotions to feel something whether it's something that you're familiar with or not you know be open to the idea that something might really gauge your attention as long as you're open to a, you know investing into it because there's plenty of content that's coming out um but yeah i think that's where we're at right now with the with the status or the status of the the film industry yeah i agree as well i think you know definitely i feel like the quality overall is getting better and and we as consumers are only benefiting competition increases the quality and whether you enjoy it in the movies or whether you you stream it at home, you know, just continue to support the stuff you like because that's when it, that's what's going to be continued to be made. So, um, but this is this has been sort of a a conversation, just us, you know, shooting the breeze, talking about sort of some thoughts we've had. Uh, we'll be back next week with an episode covering Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. 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 Okay, um, so we'll be back next week with that. Um, we'll have to fit in a Moon Knight review at some point too to get you your Marvel fix. Um, I'll just say real quick, I've been really enjoying the direction it took because it did start off kind of it was interesting, but it did have a little bit of that that Marvel vibe, but it totally took a different direction, and and I think it's up there with WandaVision and Loki now as as one of the better things they put out. So um, very original, very cool. So. We'll be back with your Marvel fix soon. And thank you much, so got thank you so much, guys, for listening. Have a good one. <laughs> we'll see you next time.